The reading today comes from 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who is of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid his life down for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Please be seated. So in this sermon series on, that we're calling Stained Glass, we're talking about the different sort of lenses that we have in the scriptures for understanding what the church is and who the people of God are. And we're starting off with 1 John because in this letter, John uses this image of darkness and light to distinguish between two different ways of being human before God. The book is full of these dualisms that bring into perspective just how different the way of light, Christ's way, is from the way of darkness or a way without Christ. Last week, Micon talked about the dualism that John sets up between children of the devil or people who are walking in the way of the accuser, and children of God who walk in the way of God's redemptive love. This week's reading continues that dualism, and again, John is turning our attention back to the beginning, back to Genesis. This week, we're talking about the way of Cain and the way of Christ. The opening of Genesis, starting with Adam and Eve and continuing on, uh, to Abraham is an account of the founding of human civilization. It moves from living out of the abundance of the garden 
to domesticating livestock and farming, building cities, developing fine crafts. But as much as it's a story of progress, as we understand it, it is also the story of God's creation project going off track. It's running full steam ahead, but like a train off the rails, it's causing mayhem and destruction along the way. There's collateral damage that was never meant to be a part of the human project to multiply and fill the earth with the image of God. We talk about Genesis 3 a lot as this moment of the fall with Adam and Eve, but really in Genesis, the fall kind of continues uh, for the first half of the book. <laughs> and Cain is a critical figure in that story gone awry. Cain is the first murderer. The first one to use violence against his fellow human. When he and his brother both brought sacrifices to God, his brother Abel's sacrifice was accepted and his was rejected. This was not an arbitrary choice on God's part, preferring livestock offerings to grain offerings. It was a recognition that Abel brought the precious firstborn of his flock and brought it in faith. And Cain was jealous, and in his jealousy, killed his brother. That murder, that submission to jealousy, that basic hatred that comes from knowing that your brother is walking in the light and you are in darkness, that fear of being exposed became part of the fundament of human civilization. Cain was exiled, and God mercifully vowed to protect him, ordering that nobody lay a hand on Cain in vengeance, though he was a murderer. Cain went on to have a son. His son founded a city. His great-great-grandson was named Lamech, and Lamech was a powerful ruler, and he claimed for himself the divine protection granted to Cain and used terrible, reckless violence to keep his expanding kingdom under his rule. Not long after this, God sends a flood to cover the earth because he is grieved by the violence of mankind. In this framework of Genesis, we are all living in cities built by Cain's descendants. We are Cain's descendants. Our whole world is founded on the use of force. Thousands of years later, we can barely imagine a political state that does not rest at some level on the power of an army a society that is peaceful without a police force, a form of justice that does not involve retribution, a rule of law that does not marginalize. Even if we can imagine it, somehow we never seem to accomplish it. Try as we might, we are all Cain's descendants. Genesis marks, makes a critical turning point when it begins to tell the story of a people called out of the city of Cain, called into countercultural living. Noah is called out and set apart. Abraham and his descendants are called out and set apart. God is making for himself a new people who will set the creation project back on track. They will be a light to the nations. They often falter, but God has a plan to use these set-apart people to restart and redeem his creation project. The Apostle John and Christians ever since him have seen that new creation coming to a head 
as climaxing with Jesus Christ coming in the flesh. He is the firstborn of a new creation. He's the first example of a new way of being human, a new way of walking in the light. So John says here, we should not be like Cain, who is of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. And then immediately after about this bit about Cain, he goes on and contrasts it with the way of Christ saying, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This way of Christ that John describes contrasts starkly against the way of Cain. In his gospel, John describes Christ as the light that comes into the world. The light hates, the darkness hates the light, but has not understood it or overcome it. The light is hated precisely because it is the light in a dark world. The righteous son is hated precisely because the powers of the world know that he is righteous, and they are not. Like Cain in the beginning, like Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery, like countless other examples through the Old Testament, Christ was sold to the religious and political officials not because he was evil, but because he was righteous. Christ's story would be a tragedy if not for the bodily resurrection, which Paul describes as Christ's vindication. Because of the bodily resurrection, we know that Christ's way, the way he lived out and the way he taught is God's way. It's not a tragic heroism. It is the way that God has chosen for humanity. We know what love is because Christ laid down his life for us. We have a new model for living. We learn to love properly again. We are a part of God's creation project getting back on track. We are light in the darkness when we lay down our lives for others. Cain and his world say that the way of progress the foundation of civilization is violence. And even if we try to minimize it, it must be there somewhere. They say it's a necessary part of law and order. But Christ shows us the way of the creator who breathes life into his creation, who gives himself freely to those who call on him, who intends peace for his creation. It's the way of self-sacrificing love. The letter of 1 John is a warning to the churches. And this contrast between Cain and Christ is a part of that warning. Because there is a risk that Christians will start to think of Christ's way as only an archetype, as only an ideal, as only a moral. We are always at risk of loving in a word and talk, but not in deed and truth. We do this every time we see our brother or sister in need, real, physical, tangible need, and we have the means to help and close our hearts to them instead. In our head, we may still be walking in the way of Christ. We may still believe that Jesus Christ as a figure 
is true in the Son of God, and we may have right ideas about how we should act, but we don't do it in the flesh. There are so many ways to accomplish this that sound holy to us in the moment. I remember when the Syrian civil war started and America, my country, largely shut its borders to refugees out of fear. Many Christians, Christians I know and am close to, Christians that I love, said that it was better to love them from a distance. It was the new slogan for a while, and I still get really angry thinking about it. It was this idea that we should airdrop food and medicine, that we should send airstrikes, anything from the air. <laughs> Let us do enough to convince ourselves that we are somehow loving these people without ever risking them becoming our actual neighbors. Loving from a distance was always a lie. It was just another worn-out way of wanting to tell ourselves we are loving like Jesus without sacrificing or risking anything at all. But maybe that's too obvious of an example. Refugees obviously need help. We are obviously obligated to help them. And our loving from a distance mantra was obviously just an excuse. So let's try something closer to home. Oslo is often a very lonely city, especially if you've immigrated here. But for everyone, <laughs> for a lot of people, even if you hadn't, it's hard to break into, hard to find your place in, especially this last year with COVID. We are all very likely to find ourselves having church coffee with someone who is desperately lonely, or chatting casually with a coworker who is desperately lonely. And if we do nothing to make a place for them in our home, at our table, in our social circles, it may be that we are loving them from a distance, too. Loving in word, but not in deed. In today's text, John says, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. There are two commandments, to believe and to love. Believe in Jesus Christ, love one another, do not love from a distance, do not love without sacrifice. Love as Jesus loved when he laid himself down for us. Last week, Mike Hunt opened up his sermon with the strangeness of the language that we find in the Bible and in John. And he spoke particularly about the devil. And that kind of term often trips us up when we're interpreting the scriptures. In today's reading, when we get to the beginning of chapter four, we have some things that are just as bizarre. The phrases, test the spirits and the spirit of the Antichrist. The passage reads, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus 
is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Here, the term spirit is not necessarily as otherworldly or as foreign to us as it might appear. John could have been writing about teachers who are being influenced by evil spirits in an animated sense. Often spirit is a particular invisible personhood, as in the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God. But the term spirit can also describe intentions and teachings, motivations, and other unseen driving forces behind how we think and how we act. Think Paul saying that God did not give you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. In both cases, to test the spirits is to look into what is going on behind the scenes in someone's words or deeds. The term prophet here basically means preacher or messenger. A prophet brings a message from God, and only rarely does it have to do with some sort of future telling. Normally, a prophet speaks about God's truth in the present moment. And the Antichrist is not a single terrifying character related to the end of the world. The spirit of the Antichrist is every unseen driving force. Every spirit that looks like Christ, pretends to be Christ, but in reality stands opposed to him and his way. So test the spirits. Be wary of new teachings and new slogans. Pull back the curtain on what you hear and look into the heart of the matter. And if that spirit confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, it is from God. This is a doctrinal confession, believing in the bodily incarnation of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But it is also a confession of practice. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Our faith happens in the flesh. Remember John's two commandments, to believe and to love. To believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. To confess Jesus Christ in the flesh is both to believe that way, but also to act that way. Jesus came in flesh and bone, and the way of Jesus takes place in the world of tangible, physical, edible things. We are urged by John to make the way of Christ as tangible, as palpable, as real to the world as the way of Cain is by default. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, and every love that is only a nice idea is not love. This is John's warning. Beware of letting your belief in Jesus drift so far into the world of ideas that it does not exist in flesh and bone for you. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The way of Cain is all around us. It starts in our own small jealousies, our rivalries, our resentments, and our prejudices, but it grows to be an institutional part of our world. The way of Cain is both hating your brother and setting up a city by the might of the sword. It is both the personal act of refusing to listen to Jesus 
and the religious and political act of submitting the innocent man to capital punishment. No matter how humanity progresses, humanity on its own just keeps building more cities of Cain and calling them civilization. But the way of Christ is also all around us. It starts in our asking for his mercy and in our granting mercy to others. And it grows into lives changed, relationships restored, unjust institutions toppled, refugees welcomed, lonely people sheltered. Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed in the garden, but when it is planted, becomes the largest tree, and the birds of the air come and rest in its branches. The way of Christ is the new creation. It is the light that shines in the darkness, and it will not be overcome. Only beware. Many spirits will try to convince you to push Christ and his way out of the tangible world. You must test them and resist them. Please pray with me. Lord, let us, your servants, go into the world as agents of peace, according to your word. For our eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Amen.